I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today, well, I hope you're into time travel. Because we have Gideon Marcus, founder of the time travel project Galactic Journey. Welcome to the show, Gideon. Thank you for having me. First question, for those who don't know, tell us about Galactic Journey. So Galactic Journey, which you can get to at galacticjourney.org, is probably what I'm best known as at for some preposition. (laughs) I started it 10 years ago, which is nuts when you think about it. So basically I and a couple of dozen other science fiction fan live 55 years ago, exactly 55 year time slipped to where everybody else is. So right now it's February 8th, 2023 for you. And it is February 8th, 1968 for us. We're right in the middle of the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. The USS Pueblo just got captured. Lyndon Johnson supposedly is running for another term, but now there's rumblings that he might drop out. Mitt Romney's father is about to drop out of the presidential contention and some guy named Richard Nixon may run again, even though we were told we wouldn't have him to kick around anymore. And that's exciting enough. But the real thing that we do is we're a bunch of science fiction fans. So, for instance, once a week we get together and we watch the broadcast of Star Trek, the only series, because there aren't any sequels yet. We're in the middle of the second season. (laughs) And these broadcasts are really exciting because they have period commercials in them. We read from period fanzines, and uh, they're just these gigantic, cool cultural experiences. And everyone's invited. I can tell you how to do it at the end of the show. We also read all the science fiction of the time. Every year we put out something called the Galactic Stars, which is the best of. If you've been relying on the Hugos or the Nebulas, those only scratch the surface of what's good out there. Or as I like to say, there's a whole lot better than Dune. (laughs) So that's Galactic Journey. And and we started out as as a blog. And now we have a radio station, two actually, TV station, a computer. We actually have a guy maintaining a virtual IBM 360 mainframe that you can get a log on for and actually use with virtual punch cards and everything. It's, it, is, it is a ridiculously huge project and lots of fun. It's international. Demographically, we, we cover, we have everybody you can think of, every age, every ethnicity, every demographic. It's wonderful. Okay. I have so many questions. I'm not sure I know where to start. Most of the time, when we talk about science fiction and we talk about time travel, people sort of jump to this idea that we're going to the future, in some distant future that we're going to explore, or that we're going to very specific, you know, everybody wants to go to like these very specific high visibility parts of history. Why? Why are you like living sequentially in a time essentially before you were born or just about before you were born? I hope it looks like it was before I was born. Uh, (laughs) Well, I don't know who everyone in your group is, so I didn't want to assume. No, that's true. And in fact, we have people in our group who are are lapping themselves. In fact, John Boston, who covers amazing, uh, has letters to analog in the months that he's covering right now. That's, and he, he, he was a BNF back then. And he finally, wow. finally, after 60 years of doing this, got his name on a Hugo nomination last year. So that's exciting. That is so exciting. So why? So two reasons. One, the reason why we do it day by day. If you go to the past, you go back to save JFK. That's never been done before. 
or you go back to to Wu Genghis Khan or Amaterasu or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. It's very now focused, right? You know what you know now, you know what you've read in the history books of now, and you go to this thing intending to do this thing, whether it's to kill Hitler, please do that, or uh, or whatever. If you go back to a time and live there, then you get an appreciation for what it is to be there. And everything references everything else. Everything is contextual and holistic, right? You read the newspapers, you watch the movies, you see the news, you talk to each other about it, you read the fanzines, and there's so many great fanzines out there. All the magazines, the science fiction magazines refer to each other. People ask me why I started in 1954, because I actually did it offline for four years before I, I started the blog. And the answer is because I wanted to get to the 70s. But I didn't want to start in the 70s because then anything I knew about the 70s would be what I'd learn in the 2000s. This way, when I get to the 70s, when I watch Star Trek, I can go, oh, this reminds me of this story I read a few years ago in fantasy and science fiction. Oh, this is clearly referencing Korea. And it's a kind of understanding of the time you cannot get unless you've lived there. My daughter and I are watching Laugh-In, which is probably a show you've never even heard of. I've heard of Laugh-In. I have. Okay, great. So if you watch Laugh-In today, and it's a comedy sketch show, and one of the first like, wacky ones, it's kind of like the monkeys, but, but in Saturday Night Live kind of format. And if you watch it today, you have no idea what any of these jokes mean. But if you've lived at the time, they are hysterical, except <laughs> for the sexist bits. Yeah, there's some of that stuff that is not translate well age well yeah <laughs> so, so yes yeah, so that's why i do it day by day and the reason why 55 years is i found that 55 years is a very magic interval there's just such a, a concordance between what happened back then and now it's very relatable it doesn't feel old it feels current the horrible quake that we just had in turkey i just covered a big horrible quake in turkey a few months ago in journey time oh wow yeah, it's the third presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump happened on the same day as the third presidential debate between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting resonances like that. And I th think the reason why is you get President Joe Biden, for instance, which, by the way, I saw a State of the Union address and I thought it was excellent. And it was very strongly resonant with LBJ's State of the Union address, which he gave a few weeks ago in Journey Time. They both very heavily emphasized infrastructure and elevating the poorest of us. And Biden was like, what, 20 in journey time, 25. So he was a young man. His, his worldview had already been forged in this time that I'm living in. And now he's in 2023 talking to you folks. And there's a connection because he's been through both times as an adult. And I think that's why there's such a strong resonance between the two eras, because the young people of then made the world of today. So you're starting to get to this, but why is this important? Because some people would look at it and go, oh, this is kind of a quirky hobby. But I have a feeling, listening to you, that there's a deeper purpose here to why you think that this is a really valuable thing to do. Well, first off, it's fun. Right. If you if you do it and read it, it's fun. And isn't that a reason to do anything? Yeah. But there's two other main reasons. One is in 2023, if you ask someone, hey, what are some great authors from before 1970? And you will get a few names. Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein. 
It's always the same names. If you if you get a, drill down, say, okay, give me some women authors from the time. Well, there's Ursula K. Le Guin, and mm. is Octavia Butler writing yet? Is James Tiptree Jr. writing yet? Answer, no. <laughs> and when we were doing this, we discovered just dozens and dozens of amazing authors you've never heard of. So everyone from Cordwainer Smith, who just died in Journey Time, which is a tragedy, to Roselle George Brown, who just died in Journey Time, which is a tragedy, to people who are who have been creating for years and will continue to create, like Lee Brackett and Andre Norton and Catherine McLean and Margaret St. Clair and Zena Henderson and Doris Pitkin Buck. And it, it goes on forever. And if you want me to talk guys, I can do that even longer because there's more of them. But we, we focused on women because because they write better. And you guys heard that, right? <laughs> that's, 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 not that there are, are not that all the men are terrible and all the women are great. Marion Zimmer Bradley, but <laughs> did I say that out loud? But pound for pound, women do better, partly because they speak from the, the vantage of the oppressed and the other. And so they write stuff that is often from a different perspective. And also they have to try harder either because of society or self-censorship. But the third reason why to do the journey is if you go on Twitter, probably not anymore, right? Hashtag (laughs) sucks. But if you go on any social media of your choice, whether it's Mastodon or Hive or Facebook or, or Instagram, in general, the world is on fire and everything sucks and it's never been worse than now. And things do suck. There are a lot of things that suck and need to get better. But if you live 55 years ago, let me tell you about suck. Because everything that's bad today was worse then. If you were gay, if you were a woman, if you were a minority, and heck, even if you were white, right? The, the healthcare wasn't as good. You weren't making as much money. The technology wasn't as good. And of course, there was the threat of nuclear holocaust hanging over you at all times. And no one wore a mask back then either. Oh, and talk about it. There, a report just came out in 1968 saying, if the smog gets any worse, the human race will not be able to handle it. And it's no coincidence that in two years, the EPA is going to be founded, partly because a river will catch on fire next year. A river will catch on fire. So, so the reason why we do this is to show that there are great things back then, but things are better now. And if things are better now than they were back then, then in 55 years, we can work to make it even better than it is now. And that's how history has been for the last several thousand years, right? It's generally up and up. Things always suck for some people, but it sucks a little less for fewer people every year. Let's not talk about income inequality since 1980. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of things that we won't necessarily be able to get to here. But what I am fascinated by as I listen to you talk is that even though you're living in the past in journey time, you seem very up to date on what's going on now. How do you keep those things clear and separate in your mind so you don't think, you know, if you get a if you get a blow to the head and somebody asks you what year is it, you don't give the wrong year? I haven't figured that one out yet. So no, there, there is there is some madness involved. I very deliberately eschew modern slang, though I understand it. And certainly I have a, I have a 19-year-old daughter, so I'm, I'm exposed to it. And I'm a natural linguist, so it's really hard. But I also really try to keep it pure, right? I would say that I spend more time in the past than I do in the present. And that's because I, I have to run the journey. 
That said, it's actually not that hard. Being a writer, I work from home anyway. It's, it's easy to jump in and out. And, and let's face it, you can live in the past, even in the present. I have a, a Natalie who, who does writing for The Journey. She covered Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, and Dark Shadows. And she used to come over every Tuesday for what we called Vinyl Nights, even before we started The Journey, and we'd listen to records. And I said, how come you don't listen to modern music? She says, I still haven't finished all my records from the 70s. So, <laughs> so, so even modern people can spend most of their time enjoying, enjoying the hits of the past, especially if, if they... they hang out with the journey. And let me tell you, it's contagious. If you hang around with me too long, you will start to enjoy all the things that we do and they may become part of your life. So uh, take that as a disclaimer before you go to galacticjourney.com. But I kind of want to go there dot now. Org, dot oh, org. sorry, dot org. Get, get that right. Galacticjourney.com is probably a porn site and we disavow all association with them. <laughs> Just so you know. So tell me also you you have the that you have the radio show you have the blog that's all galactic journey stuff. What about you? Do you write outside of those spaces or does this take up all your time? This is not take up all my time, but this was a great springboard to my publishing and writing career. So it's interesting. I always wanted to be a science fiction writer. Ever since I was 14 and I wrote a short story, a science fiction story for my math class for extra credit, and I turned it in. And then a few classes later, kids started going, hey, I love that story. And I said, what story? And they said, the story you wrote. And I said, how do you know about the story I wrote? Because the teacher liked it so much, he read it to all the classes after your class. I said, okay. So my <laughs> course was set. But I, for 30 years, I had to make money. So I did that, but I always wanted to be a writer. And as soon as I quit my last job, which set me up for semi-retirement, it's a sad state to our society that you kind of have to have money before you can make it as a writer if you want to do it comfortably. Not necessarily, but it helps. Anyway, the day I quit that job, I wrote a thousand words in my first novel. But because the journey gave us a name, we'd already gotten our first Hugo nomination. We're up to four now. It was very easy for me to call bookstores around the country and say, hey, I'm a Hugo finalist. Would you like to carry our books? And generally they'd say yes. So we founded Journey Press in 2019. And this was very aligned with Galactic Journey because the first book we came out with was this one. Rediscovery. Ooh, science, science fiction by women. So this was a collection of all of our favorite stories that we had reviewed for the journey. And I said, hey, no one's read these. Let's make them available. So we did. We made a book. It's actually quite easy to publish these days. Not as easy to make money. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then I said, hey, I don't just have to publish other people's books. I could publish mine. <laughs> Light so bulb. I came out with, this is how ready I am for this. So I came out with this. Kitra. Two weeks into the pandemic, which is a very interesting time to launch a book. Yes. And Kitra is very much an interesting sort of hybrid, right? So back in the mid 20th century, they used to write what they call juveniles. But what they really meant was young adult. And by the late 60s, they start calling it young adult. And Heinlein and Andre Norton wrote these books that were science fiction, but they were accessible to younger people and and generally focused more on the adventure and the science and less on the icky stuff. So we have a thriving YA field today in the 21st century, but YA tends to focus on the dystopian and also really, really fat books. And I said, you know what? I 
I used to be an astrophysics major. I'm a science lecturer. I'm a professional space historian. So I know, I know my science and I'm a pretty good writer. I actually wrote a bunch of short stories. I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book and it's going to be a space adventure in the old style, but it's going to be a 21st century space adventure with a diverse cast and everybody's queer, which is great because that increases dramatically how many love triangles you can have. (laughs) Interlocking love triangles. Yes. Love quadrangles, (laughs) love pentagons. So I came out with this book and then I came out with this book. And this book actually made the long list for the Lodestar this year, which is the Not a Hugo for YA, which was exciting. Okay. So that second book was Sirena? Sirena. Sirena. And is that a sequel or is it completely separate? Okay. That's a sequel. And then this one's coming out this year and should be out already. And the reason why it's not out right now is because these books have done well enough that I've started to get calls from agents. Oh. And in fact, I had a call with an agent. They asked if I could talk to them exactly at the time we started this interview. And I said, no, this interview is more important to me. Oh, we appreciate that. As fans of indie publishing and, and yes, thank you. We appreciate that. What was the title of that third book that isn't out yet? It's called Hivilma. Hivilma. Which okay. is Finnish for purple. I, I'm a fan. I, I like purple. Well, the purple, the planet is purple. Hivilma yeah, is actually the. Hivilma is actually the planet, but people are going to think that this is Hivilma. That's not. That's Marta. <laughs> oh, and these books are really cool because they're illustrated by the youngest Hugo finalist in the history of the award. Because back in the day, books used to be illustrated. Wow. Okay. If you're listening to this instead of watching it. I apologize that we don't have the video up yet, but we will soon. So go look at the YouTube channel because you're missing out on some really cool art. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And and by the way, the reason I became a science fiction writer other than I wanted to is I always thought it would be really cool. I'm I'm reviewing all these science fiction authors in in these magazines. Some of them are still alive, by the way. I've met Robert Silverberg and Tom Purdom. In fact, Tom Purdom, we actually republished one of his books because it was so good. Awesome. This is the first book to star ex- explicitly named Person of Color, 1964. And I know Roselle George Brown's son, Sybil Sue Blue. This is a great book. Awesome. And I know Ted White. And I know I knew Zena Henderson before she passed. So I introduced her stories in Rediscovery. We actually have a second volume of Rediscovery. Okay, I want all the the rediscovery books because I feel like I'm missing out. I've read a bunch of the older sci-fi, but I feel like it's the same five people. Like you said, I see you see these collections, and it's like the same five or six people, and they've got always got the toke like they've got like Octavia Butler, and they're like, look, we're diverse. She's lovely, and I really like her work. But one person person. does not diversity make. (laughs) I was talking to Meg at Copper Dog Books the other day, and she said that the rediscoveries are her best sellers because. It's like a secret history, right? It's yes. this it's this past that's been denied to us. And all of a sudden now it's flooding out. And people are like, oh, man, these stories are so good. Why haven't they ever been republished? And I'm like, well, I just did, but which, <laughs> too much hair. I started growing this in the pandemic. My alter ego in the past says I will not cut my hair till the Vietnam War is over, which means it's going to get real long. Yeah. He doesn't know that, though. 
No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but he suspects it because the Tet Offensive means we're not winning. Mm. But I've published short stories too because I felt like I couldn't criticize these science fiction authors who are now my friends unless I had skin in the game. And my goal, my goal is to be published in a magazine that existed back then. I haven't done it yet. I've been published in some pro mags, some semi-pros, and I have an interview in Amazing, which did exist back then. So kind of counts. Almost there. Almost oh, there. So so fantasy and science fiction, if you're listening, I have a new story about a colorblind wizard, which I really want you to publish because no one's ever published a story about a colorblind wizard. <laughs> okay. You hear that? Fantasy and science fiction. I'm going to send them this interview when we're done. Listen, you have to pick this guy up. Come on. Well, I my head's a little bit spinning here. Sorry. You are doing so many cool things that I can't keep up. I I now have a reading list that's gotten way longer. Wait, I um, got I got one more for you. Okay, give me one more. Uh, actually, I'll give you, um, Do you like gay romance? Yes. Okay, good. Is that a question? You never know, you know, for Okay. So there's this book which I was told the cover doesn't look quite romance enough. It looks too fantasy. And the problem is this book is an excellent fantasy novel and it's, mm-hmm. but it's a male, male romance. So, uh, so yeah, this is really good. This actually won the rainbow award for best gay fantasy romance. Okay. The, the eighth key. It's called the eighth key. Awesome. Okay. And then this is three stories at first contact. There's a hard science fiction. If you like robots <laughs> and Android love. And there's a paranormal, and then there's a urban fantasy. Finally, this book has been ridiculously popular. I don't know if you know Erica Friedman. Yes, is... she's actually slated to be on the show. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> then I'll just say By Your Side has been a bestseller for us, with good reason, because there's never been a book like it, the first hundred years of Yuri anime and manga. All right, uh, sales pitch over. Sorry about that. That's okay. If people want to want to keep track of all of this, we've already talked about galacticjourney.org, but where else can they find you, your book, your publishing stuff on the internet? So all of the books are at journeypress.com and you can get them online in any format. You can even go to the evil A to buy them, although we make it available everywhere else. Um, so you don't have to. In fact, if you are anywhere near a brick and mortar bookstore, those are our favorite and you can go to them. And if they don't have our books in stock, although hundreds of stores around the country do, just ask and they'll order it for you. And the cool thing is, is if you go to a store, chances are, I would call them first, but chances are they may even have signed copies because we make sure they all have signed copies because we love awesome. bookstores. Yeah. Yeah. Indie bookstores are the best. Brick and mortar bookstores are awesome. Where else can you be around that many books besides a library? But then you have to give them back. My bathroom. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show, Gideon. I really appreciate it. I have a lot of reading to do. I know our listeners do too. We really appreciate this look into the past and maybe the future. Thank you for having me on. This is a lot of fun. 